a, it's a great thing. It's good to be here this morning. And as you know, this, this is the weekend, right? I mean, this is the weekend where we focus on relationships. This is the weekend where if you have a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you have a, a husband or a wife, I mean, you take things, you take your relationship to the next level. And in order to take your relationship to the next level, what did you do? Hopefully, hopefully, uh, hopefully many of you have already been, you know, to Kroger. You've already bought that Valentine's Day card for that person at the low price of $19.99. You know, they put gold in those things. I mean, the price of a novel now. I don't know if you checked that out. But if you could afford to, after you bought a card, perhaps you bought that person some chocolate, you know, and, and then you maybe bought them some flowers, you maybe went out to dinner last night, or maybe you're going to go out tonight because you're going to take your relationship to the next level. That's what you do, right? I mean, last night, Carol and I, we went out to the ballet. Valentine's Day weekend, isn't that wonderful? So I hope you're doing something like that. Uh, but here's the question. What does it look like for you to have a great relationship with that person day in and day out? I mean, what do you do to make that happen? Because the reality is you're not going to buy a card for that person every single day. You're not going to buy chocolate for that person every single day. You're not going to buy flowers for that person every day. And you're not going to go out to dinner every day with that person. You're not going to do that. So what are you going to do to make sure that day in and day out you have an incredible relationship going? Well, I'll tell you, here's really the secret. It's all about doing one thing. One thing. If you do this one thing in your relationship, I'll tell you what, you're going to have a relationship that flourishes. You're going to have a relationship that lasts if you do this one thing. But if you don't do this one thing, or if you don't do this one thing very well, well, then your relationship is going to suffer. It's going to be filled with conflict. Perhaps your relationship will fall apart altogether. See, it's all about doing this one thing. And if you don't do this one thing well, well, perhaps you'll end up in a relationship that looks something like this. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me. And I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head. And it's relentless. And I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't... I think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like... There's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Yeah, I, that sounds... Really hard. It is... Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. Ow. If you would just... Don't... Try to see things my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can go on? So how well are you listening? 
That's the one thing. How well are you listening? I like that video because the reality is you can see his love for her, right? I mean, he loves her, and yet she knows something's not right. Something's awry, right? And so he tries to let her know what it is, and yet defenses go up. She doesn't want to hear anything about it. And as a result, the relationship struggles, right? Well, I think this is how it is in our most important relationship we have in life. You know, I I don't want to minimize the relationship you have with your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or your girlfriend. But the most important relationship you, I, we're going to have in our lives would be that of our relationship with God. And the reality is God made you. He dreamed you up. He designed you. He created you. And he's speaking to you every single day. Are you hearing him? Are you hearing him? Because you see, sometimes it's hard for us to hear God because we got a nail in our head. And the nail in our head, it can be made up of our past hurts that we're not you know, getting over and so our defenses go up. The nail in our head can be our expectations of how exactly God is going to work. If he doesn't show up that way, well then, we can't hear him. Sometimes the nail we have in our head is due to our own self-sufficiency. Sometimes to our own pride. And as a result of the nail in our head, he's speaking to us. He's saying, I want to help you. I want to help you live. I want to help you experience life. But our defenses go up because we don't want to deal with a nail in our head. Well, today we're going to take a look at a man who had the ultimate nail in his head. And as we take a look at this story, I want you to ask yourself, do I have the same nail? Is it there? Because this guy, I mean, things looked incredibly good for him. On the outside looking in, you think, man, what an incredible guy. But the reality is, he wasn't dealing with this. As a result, uh, he faced incredible torment in his life. And so if you have your Bibles, will you turn with me to Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 19. You have your iPads, iPhones, take those out. Luke 16, starting at verse 19. And it's here that Jesus tells this parable about a man with a nail in his head. And the story starts out like this. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple. Now pay special attention. This thing is riddled with clues. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. So the first lesson, there's several here, but one main one, we all have a particular status in this life. We all have a particular status in this life. Either we're more like the rich man or we're more like the poor man named Lazarus. Now, I'm just going to venture a guess that because we're living here in Cincinnati, because we're living here in this part of Cincinnati, we're probably more like the rich man. I think we probably are. The rich man in this story, well, we know that he's rich. Jesus tells us this. But I want you to look at this from the Jewish mindset, because back then, if you, if you had somebody who was a Jewish man who was very, very wealthy, what would you think? Would you, you would think, oh, man, now there is somebody who has a special relationship with God. There's somebody who's walking with him. God is blessing him as a result of this relationship he's walking and breathing and living in. They would have looked at him and thought, man, there is a holy man. He's wealthy. God has prospered him. And so while this man probably had a host of, you know, a variety of different clothing in his closet, he kept pulling out the same thing every day. Jesus says he wore purple. 
Why wear purple? Because purple is the color of wealth back then. And so when he walked in his neighborhood, he wore purple. When he walked, you know, past his neighborhood to places where, frankly, people didn't even know him, he wore purple. He wanted everyone to know that he was wealthy. In fact, I don't know if you noticed, but Jesus gives us even a greater detail here. He talks about all of his clothing that he wears down to his underwear. It's made of linen. Okay, this guy's clearly over the top. And then, here's something else he does that's over the top. Jesus said he feasted every day. Every day he feasted. Now, in our minds, we think, well, of course, if you're wealthy, I guess you could afford to feast every day if you want to. But this is a clue that Christ is giving us here. You see, if you're Jewish back then, you could feast if you could afford it. You could feast every single day but the Sabbath. On the Sabbath day, you were to keep it holy, and you could only eat certain kinds of food. In fact, I've been to Israel on the Sabbath several times now, and I'll tell you what, the food on the Sabbath is nothing to write home about. It's very limited. It's not that good, to be honest with you. And yet this guy, he avoids that. He feasted on the Sabbath. What Jesus is trying to get us to understand here is this. On the outside looking in, you think, oh man, there's a real believer. There's somebody who smells like a believer. But in reality, in his heart, he's not a believer. He's not. In fact, Jesus tells us something else about him. He makes him anonymous. The poor man, he's got a name, Lazarus. The rich man, no name. And it's for a reason. Because we could place our names there, here in this story. We are like the rich man. In fact, the rich man is much like the successful executive. The story is told about him who bought this brand new Jaguar. He was driving it down his neighborhood street when suddenly he heard this loud noise. He looked over and somebody had thrown a brick at his driver's side door. And so he put his car in reverse, went back to the spot that his car had been struck, got out of the car to see who did this to him. And there stood this young boy. He was the guilty one. So he grabbed him by the shoulders, pressed him against the car, says, why did you do this to my Jaguar? Do you have any idea how expensive this car is? And the boy said, well, I'm sorry, sir. I, I didn't know what else to do. I mean, I've been trying to get other people's attention, but they keep driving by. He said, you know what? I, I've been pushing my brother in his wheelchair, my older brother. He can't walk. And the wheelchair fell off the side of the curb, lost its balance. He's tumbled over now. He's lying in the ditch. He's too big for me to get back up. Can you help me? The man looked over in the ditch, and sure enough, there was a boy lying there. There was a wheelchair laying on its side. So he went over, he picked the wheelchair up, placed it on its path, then picked the boy up, put him in his wheelchair, made sure he was doing okay, and he was. Then the younger brother looked up at the man and said, you know what? Thank you, sir. Thank you. I'm awfully sorry about the dent in your door. He began pushing his brother. And the guy just stood there watching as he pushed his brother down the street until he couldn't see him anymore. As the story is told, he got back into his car. He drove away. And oddly enough, he never fixed that dent in his driver's side door. People asked him, why, why don't you fix that? You can afford to fix that. He says, you know what? It's a reminder to me that I don't want to go through life so fast that somebody's got to throw a brick at me to get my attention. Regarding this parable, one pastor noted this, and I love what he said. God was so trying to get the attention of the rich man, he threw a brick at him every day. The brick's name was Lazarus. I mean, think about it. Every day this guy got up, he looked out his window, there's Lazarus. 
He walked out the gate to walk throughout the town. There was Lazarus. When he came back home, there was Lazarus. I mean, here a Lazarus, there a Lazarus, everywhere a Lazarus, Lazarus. You could escape him, right? And even so, he keeps avoiding him over and over again. And in so doing, he's ignoring God as well. See, this this rich man failed to see that Lazarus was an opportunity for him to, to use his gifts, to use his talents, his time, his money, to use his heart and his love to reach out to this guy, to heal him, restore him, care for him. But he wasn't doing that because he wasn't listening. He wasn't listening to God anyway. He was listening to himself. And even though God kept throwing a brick at him every single day, he never noticed. He never noticed. What brick is God throwing at you to get your attention? Are you noticing? Are you noticing? We all have a particular status in this life. But we're not to work in such a way where we protect our position. And that's exactly what the rich man did. Well, then that brings us to Lazarus. We know several details about him according to Jesus. First of all, he's poor. We know he's poor because he's begging for food. We also know about him that he was sick because he's lying on the ground. He cannot get up. We know that he's suffering because his body is covered with all kinds of sores. In fact, Jesus gives this additional detail and says that the dogs actually came and licked his wounds, which would have been disgusting back then. These were not house pets, okay? These, this was disgusting. It would, have been, it would have been horrible for a Jew to have this happen. It would have made him ceremonially unclean. In fact, later rabbis would look at somebody like Lazarus and describe him as having no life. A condition called no life. Even though you're living, you got no life. There's up to three conditions that could be met in order to define someone in that way. The first would be this. The person relies on someone else for their food. They're not going to work. They're not going to do something to get food for themselves. Later rabbis would say, oh, well, that person has no life. Second condition The person has open sores on their body. Check the box. Later rabbis would say, Lazarus, well, he's he's got no life. The third condition is the person is ruled by his wife. And I'm sure there's no one like that here. And uh, we don't know anything about Lazarus if he's married or not, so he doesn't fit that criteria. But he meets the first two. Lazarus, even though he's living, has no life. But eventually we learn that He has no life because his life here was over. Verse 22, the poor man died, Jesus said, and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. So the first lesson, we all have a particular status in this life. Second lesson, we will all have a particular status in the next life. We'll all have a particular status in the next life. In fact, Jesus makes it very clear here. There are only two possibilities for a person after they die. Only two. It's like the story that's told by Earl Adams of one man who prepared for his death. He, he wrote down, you know, what, what he wanted his tombstone to, to say. He eventually died. His tombstone was established there. And it read this. Consider, young man, as you walk by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, you soon shall be. So prepare, young man, to follow me. One person walked by, saw the tombstone, thought about it, took out his jackknife and etched in his response. He said, to follow you is not my intent until I know which way you went. 
But Jesus made it clear exactly where the rich man and Lazarus went. Lazarus? Well, he dies. He's immediately taken up to Abraham's side, which signifies very clearly that he went to heaven. He's enjoying the blessings of heaven. The rich man? Well, he dies. He receives a proper burial. And then, of course, he's quickly taken to hell. His past riches now do him no good at all. He is left to face eternal damnation. And then Jesus describes it this way, that each one can see the status of the other. There's this large chasm between them, but they can see each other from a distance. And their situations now have been reversed. Where once Lazarus laid down on the ground looking up to the rich man to help him, now the rich man is down below suffering and he's looking up to Lazarus to help him. In fact, he calls out, the Bible says, he says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. So the first thing this guy does is he tries to play the racial card. You see, he's Jewish. That means he's got Abraham's blood flowing through his veins. He says, okay, I'm going to appeal to you then, Abraham. Can you save me? And Abraham says, you know what? There's nothing I can do. Everything has been established. You are left to suffer where you are, to face eternal damnation and hell. Now, Ted Turner, you may know of him. He's the founder of CNN, among other things. Some years ago, he made this speech to the National Press Club. And in his speech, he said some of the following words. Heaven, he said, is going to be a mighty slender place. And most of the people I know in life aren't going to be there. There are a few notable exceptions, and I'll miss them. Remember, heaven is going to be perfect, and I don't really want to be there. Those of us that go to hell, which will be most of us in this room, most journalists are certainly going there. But when we get to hell, we'll have a chance to make things better because hell is supposed to be a mess. So why go to heaven where it's perfect and beautiful when you can go to hell and kind of clean up the joint is what he's saying. And Jesus makes it very clear here. The rich man wasn't able to improve upon his situation, not one bit. And that's why he makes this appeal. He appeals to Lazarus to dip his finger in water and then cool his tongue with just a drop of water. That's how incredibly thirsty he is. And the rich man's thirst here in this parable represents the same thirst that everyone has in life. Our thirst for God, the very one who made us. And while people try to quench that thirst in a variety of different ways, pursuing all kinds of different things, only Jesus is the one who can satisfy. Christ himself said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So how are you trying to quench your thirst? How are you quenching your thirst? The rich man, you see, he didn't listen. As a result, he was incredibly thirsty. His thirst could not be quenched because all through his life, he was far too busy listening to himself. You see, he had a nail in his head. And this is why Abraham tried to help him to understand why he landed where he was. You see, what Lazarus was in the old life, he said, you have become. What Lazarus lacked, you now lack. 
what you did not provide him then, he cannot provide you now. You are reaping what you sowed. You are reaping what you sowed. You did not listen to God. You did not respond to what he's saying to you. You are reaping what you sowed. Well, finally, he begins to understand the truth just a bit. As he begins to understand everything that's going on now, he suddenly switches the topic of conversation. And he said, well, then I beg you, Father, to send him, Lazarus, he's talking about, to my father's house. Lazarus is an errand boy for him. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead... Then they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, they're not listening, he said. Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And that's the end of the story. It's not the end of our learning, though. See, we all have a particular status in this life. We will all have a particular status in the next life. And now Jesus makes it clear here, we will all be rewarded in the next life for how well we have listened in this life. We'll all be rewarded in the next life for how well we listened in this life. See, the rich man finally realized he'd made a huge mistake. Because he had failed to listen, he had squandered his money, he had squandered his talents, he had squandered his gifts, he had squandered all his opportunities, he had squandered his life. See, rather than listen to God and respond to him and use all that he had to impact the lives of others, he took his assets and made the best life possible for himself. But now he finally gets it. He finally gets it. And and while he had finally listened and understood the truth, this newfound truth now does him no good at all. He realizes this. And this is why he now pleads with Abraham to send Lazarus to his five brothers so they can hear about his newfound discovery. Perhaps there was still time for them to spend their wives wisely if they listened wisely. He wanted a message to go out to them that basically said this. Don't make the same mistake I made. Respond to Christ now or face disaster. But here was the problem. The rich man knew that his brothers would not easily even listen to that message because they had the same stubborn ears that he had. Like him, they had nails in their heads, stuff they didn't want to deal with that pushed God away from their lives. As a result, he's saying, you know what? The only thing that's going to work, the only way they're going to hear the truth and respond to the truth is that if you scare literally the hell out of them, Scare them into the truth, is what he's saying. In reality, the church at large across our United States has done this many times. We try to scare people into the truth. You know, accept Jesus now or face the flames of hell. See, our call, friends, is not to scare people into the truth. It's to love them enough to show them the truth. And tell them the truth of how God loves them. How he sent his son To save them. And that's the truth. That's why Abraham basically responds to the rich man and says, you know what? God is only impressed with a heartfelt change that comes to listening to God and his word and then responding to it. Because any other means to get people to love God or pursue God are only going to produce temporary results. It's going to be fleeting and failing. See, people who are not changed because they fail to listen to God, they're not listening to his word, they're they're not going to be influenced by a light show, a magic trick, or even an incredible miracle that happens right in front of them. They won't. 
Think about the Exodus. Think about Israel. They are delivered, of course, from Egypt. God parts the Red Sea for them. And then they see one powerful act and demonstration after another by God. And yet so many persist in their unbelief. Jesus performed one miracle after another. And yet so many people responded to him with open hostility. Even after Jesus rose from the dead, even his empty tomb was not evidence enough for some. They tried to explain it away and concoct a false story. You see, when we fail to listen, when we fail to listen to the very God who made us, who is calling us, who is speaking to us, who loves us, even if we see something incredible right before our eyes, we're going to try to explain away this whole thing away because we don't understand it. We don't understand it. So how good of a listener are you, really? Are you listening to Jesus? He says, come to me. Are you listening like Jesus? Because you see, he hears everything because his ears are not plugged up with pride. Are you responding to him? Because here's the truth. And I want you to hear me right now. He's calling you today. He's calling you today. Out of his love, he is calling. And he's reaching out to you today. Can you hear him? See, what Christ was trying to get us to understand is that faith comes by listening, and listening leads to doing. When we listen to God, we do some things like we repent. We ask for forgiveness. We begin following Christ. We begin living for him. We begin serving other people. Listening leads to doing. And yet here's the truth, I think, this morning. There are some here who are like the rich man. You are. You've heard a lot of different things over time. You've heard a lot of things about the Bible, about religion, but you haven't listened to the most important thing you could listen to in your life, and it's God's call. And God is calling you. He is calling you. Can you hear him? Can you hear him? Can you just close your eyes right now? I just want you to have time between you and God right now. You see, friend, He loved you so much, he sent his son to die for you. And when it comes to nails, Jesus knew a thing or two. He allowed nails to pierce his hands and pierce his feet as he hung on the cross for you and me. So that he could suffer pain for you. He could rise from the grave and demonstrate the power needed. Because he allowed those nails to be pierced his hands and his feet, that he could remove that nail from our heads. That thing that's pushing God away. Are you hearing him? I want you to be honest right now. Because so many people just blow this off. How many here right now would say, you know what, I'm not sure I've actually made that decision. I'm not sure I've actually listened to God. I'm not sure I've actually received the forgiveness that I need. And right now where you are, and don't hold back, will you just raise your hand right now and say, I need God. I know I need him right now. I need him. I see those hands. I need him right now. I see those hands are everywhere. Thank you. I need his forgiveness. I need his salvation. Probably 15 hands at least that went up in the room. Anyone else? God is calling. I see that hand. God is calling. Anyone else here? Anyone else? I'd like for all of us to say this prayer together, even if you prayed a prayer like this before. 
And will you repeat after me? And for those of you who are saying, you know, I need his forgiveness in my life, pray this prayer from your heart. Mark the moment right now. You say, on Valentine's Day, I learned of God's love for me. I responded to his love for me. That's why I love him. So let's pray right now. Repeat after me, everyone, even if you prayed this before. Dear Jesus, I know I've not listened to you. Because of my sin, I have rejected your call many times. Please forgive me. I now place my hope and faith in the work you accomplished for me on the cross. I now pledge to follow you, to live in a relationship with you, and to obey you until the day you call me home to worship you forever. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I want to encourage you to take one of those connection cards that are right there before you right there in the pew and right there in front of you. Just take that out before you leave. Give us some general information. We want to give you what you need to take the next steps as you follow him. And then hand that to an usher as you leave here. But for all of us right now, will you just stand right now, everyone here in this place? And I believe that God is still speaking. He's still calling. And I celebrate with all those people here who raised their hand, who prayed that prayer to follow Christ. I celebrate with you because heaven is celebrating with you right now. But I want us all, before we leave this place, to say, God, here's my heart. Here's my heart. Speak to me what is true. That I can follow you and I can live for you with everything that I've got. I want to hear you. I want to respond to you. So, Father, here's my heart. Sing it to him. Make this your prayer before we leave this place here today.